Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to this time. Lord, the world would seek to distract us and sideline us and offer us lesser pleasures to keep us from doing what you're calling us to do. And I pray today, Lord, you would stir our hearts afresh again to worship you, the Lord our God, and to serve you only. God, that we would be a great commission campus, consecrated and dedicated to your purposes in joy and who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you have Bibles, we're going to Acts 11. If you want to turn there to Acts 11, it is a really amazing privilege to finish out Go Conference with you all here this week. And I want to just remind us here, this school is here. Our aim is to train you academically in a variety of fields, no doubt about that. And also, we aim on this campus to mobilize you as trained disciples to graduate and go and make disciples and multiply healthy churches together. We're about that here at Cedarville. That's our aim. So I wanna offer a final encouragement toward that end for you all here because I wanna say we're all called to live the normal Christian life. And the normal Christian life means making disciples and multiplying churches. You have a role to play in that call. Every person in this room, whoever you are, wherever you're going to, urban, suburban, rural, in the states, outside the states, you have a role to play. And we simply want to call you to embrace the normal Christian life. Sometimes in life, we can think of things as being of absolute importance, when in actuality, it's important, but it's not ultimate. We don't want to confuse important things with ultimate things. We can all do this at times in a variety of areas of life. I, I love hiking with my family, and I'm a destination guy. I'm a get to the summit, get to the pinnacle kind of a guy. That's ultimate. And my family reminds me, actually, Dad, what's ultimate is that we have like good quality family time on the way. Could we do that? Right? For you as a student here, it could be your GPA. That's, that's ultimate. Get to grad school, get that job. Social events, relationships, job placement can be seen as ultimate at times. After you're done here, promotions, having children, vacations and experiences can become ultimate in our minds. And those are all potentially good things. They are not ultimate. And as Christians, we recognize there are important things in Christianity, but they all point to a certain particular ultimate reality. There's a well-known line from John Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad, that I think hits this so well. He says this, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Mission exists because worship doesn't. 
Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. The worship of God amongst all peoples in this planet of 8 billion people is ultimate. That is ultimate. And so we are reminded of this. We, we recognize again and again, we see worship is ultimate because God is ultimate. Be reminded some texts that God is great and good and glorious. Revelation 4 verse 11 says, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Revelation 5 12 14 says, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Our great God is transcendent and he is imminent. He's come near to us. He's holy. He's loving. He's triune. From him, through him, to him are all things. To him be glory forever. That's who he is. And so because, because God is infinitely worthy of praise, we as God's people engage in God's mission until he returns so that he be glorified amongst all peoples all nations. Revelation 7 says there'll be this throng that is uncountable. <laughs> all peoples, all tribes, all tongues, all languages bowing in worship before the living God. And if you know, like I know, you recognize 8 billion people on planet Earth, 3.2 billion of them are unreached that people in this world will be born today. And if nothing changes in their life, they will never have access to the gospel, to the Bible, to Jesus, to a church, and they will die. And at some point in our lives, that has to become unthinkable. At some point in our lives, hearing there are 2% people in Boston who are Christian, and that's it, needs to become unthinkable. To hear, yet less than 2% in Salt Lake City, that has to become, in your mind at some point, unthinkable. To say, that can't be. And not out of guilt, but out of the greatness of the glory of God, and to say, I've, I've benefited so much in knowing him and loving him, and the nations must know that's normal Christianity. And you may say in this place today, man, Kimball, like, I'm a nobody. I'm gonna go somewhere and work a job. What can I do realistically? Can I say a quote to you from Francis Schaeffer's little essay, No Little People and No Little Places. My friend John Wood gave this to me and this was so impactful in my life. 
He says this in this quote, we must remember throughout our lives that in God's sight, there are no little people and no little places. Only one thing is important, Cedarville. And here it is, to be consecrated persons in God's place for us at each moment. That's the call. So main point I wanna get across for us here today is, is this. God's people engage in God's mission. That's all. God's people engage in God's mission. So Acts 11, read some verses here, verse 19, and then some in Acts 13 as well. Acts 11, verse 19 says this. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, that's the key place we want to focus on here, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord is with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And, and now in Acts 13, verse 1, it says this. Now there were in the church at Antioch, same church now in Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon who's called Niger, Lucius of, of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So here's the deal. I want you guys to see this morning a four-fold pattern in the church of Antioch that applies to us today. That's the deal, four-fold pattern. So first step in this pattern, number one, believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ. That's the first step here. So we won't read it now, but in Acts 2, of course, you all know the church is born at Pentecost, right? Apostles preach the word of God in various languages. They hear this word preached. They repent of their sins. They believe the gospel. They're baptized. They form a community of faith. They give themselves to uh, fellowship and the breaking of bread, the apostles' teaching, prayers, and life is good. They're in Jerusalem having a good time doing the Christian thing. And then a guy named Saul comes along and others as well, but persecution comes into the midst of the church in Jerusalem and that persecution actually scatters the church. So they go from Jerusalem out from there, which actually corresponds to Acts 1-8 where Jesus says to the apostles, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. It took persecution to push them out. So the word of God spreads and it gets to Antioch where both Jews and Gentiles hear the gospel proclaimed and many believe. And of course, they, they believed in Acts 2. They hear the gospel and they go eventually to this place and they share the gospel. Just though briefly, just to say this really quick. Notice in this text, just briefly, 
People are pushed out to various locations for gospel work by means of persecution. Can I just say to you, God uses all kinds of means to accomplish his purposes. My life is not a straight road. There are lots of curves and twists and turns. If I tell you my life story, all that's going on in my life, it's like, wait, why this, why that? Can I just tell you, God is faithful to accomplish his purposes in the world and in your life. Sometimes in surprising ways, sometimes in difficult ways, but I'm telling you, God is doing what he's doing for the sake of gospel realities in this world. He will not be stopped. So just to say here on this point, believing in the gospel, there's one way of salvation, friends, one way of salvation. John 14, six tells us, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4.12, Peter says, there's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven, give them men, whereby we must be saved. Romans 10.13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. John 6.35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me won't hunger. Whoever believes in me will not thirst. There's satisfaction in salvation through Christ. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. Praise God for salvation, yes? Praise God that we are saved by his grace through faith in Christ. So God's mission in the world begins with our believing. And that believing produces people who proclaim the gospel. That's the next step in the pattern. So we believe in the gospel, then proclaim the gospel. Believers become proclaimers. So in Acts 11, who are these people? Verse 19 again, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus to Antioch, speaking the words no one except Jews, but then they go on to speak to Hellenists in verse 20 and Gentiles also. They're, who are these people? These are people that, as far as we know, in Acts 2, Acts 3 perhaps, were saved by gospel proclamation there in Jerusalem, scattered by this persecution. They're just normal people. As far as we know, we can tell they're not seminary-educated people. They're just normal, everyday Christians. They're not deterred in their mission. They're making the gospel known. They're normal, regular people who are learning the word, living in accordance with his teachings, and making it known to make disciples and establish churches. Here's the deal. They'd encountered Jesus through the gospel, and they'd seen him and recognized him and believed in him and see that he is the greatest possible thing they've ever attained or could ever attain in their lives. They've seen him for who he is. They love, they treasure Jesus. We say this a lot around here. I'll say it again, though. We, we talk about what we love. They're just talking about what they love. They love Jesus. 
you will inevitably talk about what you love. The question is, what do you love? Who do you love? I can name a lot of examples here on this. For myself, my wife, my kids that I know, I know so well. Or we can say a lot of examples of this. Your family and friends know what you love. Why? Because you talk about it. What if, what if we were just a people who simply were enthralled with Jesus? That genuinely actually said and actually did love Jesus. For real. You're not going to then stop talking about Jesus. And because you love people, you want people in on the thing that you love the most. Jesus. We get so terrified in sharing the gospel sometimes. If you love that person and you love Jesus, then it's easier. Let's say I got this all correct in these ways and say it in these ways. Yes, say the gospel accurately and well and say it out of love of Jesus in love to that person. To love Jesus wholeheartedly and passionately will lead us toward others in gospel witness. So they experienced Jesus' life transformation and everything had changed. Everything changed for them. They had hope and life in Christ as we have hope and life in Christ. And that made them proclaimers of this word. So it starts with believing. It goes on to proclaiming. And then as a church is established in Antioch, as that's the pattern we see over and over again, church is established and planted, it's built up through faithful word ministry. So next year, want to exhort and teach for maturity in Christ. We believe, proclaim, church is established now, now we exhort and teach toward maturity in Christ. That's the next step in the pattern that we see. So verse 23, Acts 11, when Barnabas came, and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the spirit and faith. Verse 26 as well says this, for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. That's the next step in this pattern. Barnabas is dedicating himself to biblical teaching and exhortation to build up this body of people. And by the way, he didn't just want to teach information and perpetuate the status quo. He taught and exhorted for their formation and their transformation for the sake of the mission. So Barnabas did just that in that place. He sought to instruct and to teach and proclaim the truths of God's word to a people to help them grow up in godliness. He's a spiritual father to them. And this is how parenting works, guys. Kids don't just go forth in life naturally doing the right kinds of things. If you want them to have manners, you teach them. If you want them to learn how to deal with life without hitting and screaming, you have to teach them how to do that. If you want to know how like, the world works in certain ways, you got to teach them. If they learn a sport or want to grow in godliness, you teach them toward that end. That's what Barnabas is doing here. He's fathering these people. So he teaches and exhorts as the early church did in terms of their being built up as a people. So we make the gospel known, that it's made known we believe, then we proclaim, and then we establish a church and exhort within that church to build it up, which leads toward engaging 
in the mission. And so believe, proclaim, exhort, and then engage in the mission. You say engage in mission, you can say send on mission. Same kind of idea we see here. We engage in mission for the glory of Christ because he's worthy, worthy of praise. So Acts 13, verse one, they're gathered together. They're worshiping. In verse two, the spirit says, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So now, now the church in Antioch has some believers that proclaim, they establish a church, they're built up over time. And now they're saying, oh, we gotta be a part of this whole mission thing, not just to do it here in Antioch, but to send beyond our borders to other places that need the gospel. So they pray toward that end and they send toward that end. Paul and Barnabas go. And you read Acts as a whole book You see these men go to Jews and Gentiles all throughout Asia Minor and Greece, proclaiming the gospel, establishing churches, exhorting and teaching to send out and make more churches. Over and over in Acts, see that pattern again and again and again. We see Christians making disciples, establishing churches, and sending to make more churches and disciples. That's normal Christianity. It's the mandate for every Christian now. So the pattern there, those four steps, is the pattern for us now, friends. That's what God is calling us to, to believe in the gospel, proclaim the gospel, exhort in an established church to be built up as a church, and then engage in mission to send or be sent. That's the pattern in our lives. To believe sitting in this room, if you've not yet confessed Christ to say to you today, today is that day to confess Christ as your Savior and Lord and treasure and to see him, oh, to see him for who he is and embrace him for who he is, to repent of sin and turn to him in faith and then become a proclaimer. Christians here in this room, an army of proclaimers in this room, They go now and go later to various places to make the gospel known in our neighborhoods, at our jobs, the restaurants we go to, the stores we go to, the gyms we work out at, the teams we coach, events at school we'll do someday as we're with parents of children. All those areas we we look and think through, how can I proclaim the gospel? Our eyes are up for opportunities. How they believe in Jesus if they haven't heard. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. That's us, friends. We are those faithful witnesses who say those things. I'll tell you, leading last year's Go City trip to Salt Lake City, had a chance to take 27 students there last year, 30 students this year going out to Salt Lake City. It was amazing to engage in evangelism there in that place and have students say over and over again, huh, I guess I can do this just in normal life all the time. Yeah, yes. God's saying, very good, right? That's the path. That's the way we live as Christians. So the church exhorts as well. So we we believe, proclaim, we exhort. And you're like, I'm not gonna be a pastor. That's okay. 
pastors exhort, absolutely yes, we teach, we preach, all these things. You're saying, I'm a small group leader, kids ministry, volunteer, student ministry volunteer, uh, I'm a greeter, that's all that I do. Those are chances to engage in word ministry. Colossians 3, 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly so you can teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. I have a greeter at my church that brother loves to exhort at the door. He's a good man. Hospitality, don't just talk about worldly things. Speak of beautiful, glorious, God-centered things. I had a chance to host two pastors who were here this week uh, for dinner a couple nights ago, and one of them asked a profoundly just beautiful question uh, just to ask, hey, at what moments in your life have you heard sermons that had just a genuine life-altering impact on your life? And I'm like, that's an hour-long question. That's good. Ask that question. And just talk and think through how you can exhort toward good ends. And we engage. We engage, friends. Like the early church, we send and we're sent in the work of mission. Somebody once said, Every Christian is a sender of others to be on mission somewhere to cross a culture and learn a language and share the gospel in a place that's not yet reached by the gospel. They send someone there or they go themselves. So you'd be a sender or you'd be a goer. I go to that place and cross that culture, learn that language, go to that place and penetrate that lostness with the gospel. Or you can be in sin. Those are your three options. Send with prayers and money and support to go or to sin because that's normal Christianity, what God is calling us to. This is the reality, friends. Psalm 67, glorious psalm, should ring in our hearts as we send and go locally and nationally and internationally. And by the way, some of you doing you know, job study here for various fields, I want you to know there are nations in the world that are in that category of unreached and they will literally pay you good salaries to come get jobs there and make disciples. Just saying. There's opportunities out there to just get good paying jobs in places they don't know Jesus and they don't know you're coming to get a job and share Jesus, but you are. And creativity of thought in that realm would be good for us to consider with the skills that we have. But Psalm 7 says this, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. You think blessing, by the way, it gets very self-centered very quickly and he just destroys that. May God bless us, he goes on, that your way may be known on earth. We are blessed to bless others with the gospel. Your saving power among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Nations, 
in our nation. There are pockets of people even here from unreached places that need gospel work. Nations around the world, the unthinkableness of being born and living and dying, no access to Bible, to Jesus, to gospel, to church. Unthinkable. Can't be. For the joy we have in Jesus, that can't be. They must know the glories of our God. Believe, proclaim, exhort, engage. That's our call. God's people engage in God's mission. That's the idea we want to get across today. Acts 6, 7, Acts 12, 24, Acts 19, 20, all say the same thing, guys. The word of God continued to increase and spread or multiply. We want to see this place launch students for years and decades to come to see the word of God multiply in these ways. We want to see that in Southwest Ohio, all throughout Ohio and the Midwest. We want to see it in cities like Boston and Washington, D.C. and Syracuse and Denver and Pittsburgh and Salt Lake City and L.A. and New York City and Phoenix and Miami and on and on the list can go of that around the U.S., around the world, to the places that are in such desperate need of the hope of the gospel, who are begging, longing for that reality. Longing. God has people in all of those nations, elect people, who, when hearing the word of Christ, will respond in faith. And God is saying, Go and make this known. And we do all this because God is worthy. He is glorious. He is mighty. He is awesome in who he is. So my prayer is that our school would continue to treasure Christ so much that we live to help others treasure Christ. That we would treasure Christ so much we couldn't help but go to the places we go to, have our eyes up to see the need in the world and, and make Christ known, the treasure that he is, that God would be glorified in the salvation of many. I want to, I in closing, expand this quote from Francis Schaeffer and make one last comment to you all as we, we close here. Schaeffer again said this, a little more in this quote. We must remember throughout our lives that in God's sight, there are no little people and no little places. Only one thing is important, to be consecrated persons in God's place for us at each moment. And he goes on. Those who think of themselves as little people in little places, if committed to Christ and living under his lordship in the whole of life, may, by God's grace, change the flow of our generation. And as we get on a bit in our lives, knowing how weak we are, if we look back and see we have been somewhat used of God, then we should be surprised by joy. 20 years ago, a man wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life. And it was a good clarion call to not waste your life and to 
spend it on worldly things, but to give yourself to Christ and his purposes. And that is certainly something by God's grace and the power of his spirit we would strive for in our lives, not to waste our lives. I want to say to you, in closing, with that quote before us on the screen, if you're in this room saying, man, I'm one person, I'm going to go somewhere, and I'm, I'm going to do a little bit with my life. I, I want to live my life for the glory of God. I, I, I want to be on mission. I want to make him known. I want to share the gospel. I want to make disciples. I want to help churches multiply. I want, I want to do all these things we're talking about here on this campus so frequently. I, I want to do these things, but I'm one person. What, what can I do? What can I accomplish? Really, at the end of the day, can I just say to you, if you, as Schaefer says here, would consecrate your life, would set yourself apart by God's grace to be used for his purposes, to offer yourself daily as a living sacrifice. This author says, don't waste your life, which is so good to say. If you will just have that posture and that mentality and that daily offering of yourself to the Lord, I wanna to say to you, he will not waste your life. Fathers, we... Think on these things, I pray that you would help us to recognize the beauty and the glory of who you are. We hear stats all the time of lostness, of the realities in our country and around the world that are so real and so stark. But Lord, I pray that you would even lift our our eyes above, what's, that's a, a very important level of things to, to consider. Lift our eyes even above that to the ultimacy of you. Your greatness, your renown, your glory, the fact that you're worthy of all glory and honor and power. That in, your, in you there's fullness of joy and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And may our, our missional pursuits be fueled by joy-filled worship of you. Give us a glimpse again of how great and beautiful you are. And as we glimpse you and see you and love you and enjoy you and fear you and worship you, may all of that result in a heart, hearts in this room, wherever we go, whatever you call us to, that we would be on mission for the glory of your name, that others would know Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.